Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. It's a, a very common scene. A leading politician makes a flippant and disrespectful gesture towards the opposition. The opposition reacts angrily. Next second, everyone's up on their feet shouting and hurling insults. Before you know it, there are riots out in the street. Fists start to fly. Knives come out. By the time the police arrive, two people have been killed, and the other side vows to seek revenge. Is this what human life is meant to be like? Sometimes it's closer to home. A boss is having a bad day. He is grumpy and frustrated. So he shouts at one of his executives. The executive, when he returns to his own office, shouts at his secretary. The secretary, when she gets home, shouts at her son. And while the son is storming off to his room, the dog walks past. Now the dog should have known better. And the little boy kicks the dog. Now I ask you, wouldn't it have saved a lot of people a lot of time and trouble... If the boss had just driven to the secretary's house and kicked the dog himself. But on a serious note, we all know the destruction that comes from unresolved anger. And sometimes it leads to killings. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, You have heard that it was said, To the people long ago, do not murder, but anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. This was a very common and unusual way that a rabbi in those days would start a discussion about the Old Testament law. They would say, you have heard that it was said. And then they would quote the Old Testament law. In this particular instance, Jesus quotes from the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. And the consequences, if you kill someone, is judgment, death. But then Jesus does something that no rabbi would ever dream of doing. Jesus says in verse 22, But I tell you, no rabbi would ever say that. The rabbi might say, but another verse in the Old Testament law says, or they might say, one of the prophets said. A rabbi might even go as far as saying, but another great rabbi once said. But a rabbi would never say, but I say. That would be to assume you have authority over God's law. Yet that is what Jesus says. For Jesus is above the law. But Jesus doesn't abolish the law. He rather deepens it. He shows what the true intention of the law is. He gets to the heart of the law. In that way, Jesus is both above the law and the true interpreter of the law. And we read in verse 22, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. 
You see, the intention of the law wasn't that you would go just as far, just as about to kill someone and stop just short of killing someone. The intention of the law was that you wouldn't get anywhere even close to thinking, I wish that person was dead. The law is not just about constraining outward actions. It's about getting to our heart, our attitudes. It's very easy to act as though we all get on. Put on an outward show. But yet within our heart there is anger, hatred and unforgiveness. Now, the word translated angry in the Greek essentially is referring to unresolved anger. Anger is a natural emotion. Certain things will make you angry. That's normal. That's not a sin. But when you do not deal with your anger positively, when you allow that unresolved anger to linger and fester within your heart, then it is a problem. And it's this unresolved anger within your heart that Jesus is referring to. If you have unresolved anger in your heart, it will manifest itself in some way. It might be in a seemingly small way, such as name-calling and insults. You rocker, you fool. Or it could manifest itself in murder. But Unresolved anger in the heart will always manifest itself in some way, and ultimately it will lead to destruction. And that's why Jesus says in verse 22 anyone who is angry with his brother or his sister will be subject to judgment. He continues again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now the word raka is an Aramaic insult, which is basically an attack on someone's intellect. It's like saying, you idiot, you moron. Fool, on the other hand, was actually an attack on someone's character. Within biblical times, fool referred to your character, to an immoral person to someone who had bad morals. What Jesus is saying here, anger that so quickly and easily leads to name-calling and insults is subject to the same judgment, the same consequences as murder. Judgment. Whose judgment? God's judgment. No human court can judge whether a person's got unresolved anger in their heart. Only God can. Uh, the, the reference to the Sanhedrin is a reference to the Jewish high court. But this should not be taken literally as though if someone called someone else a rocker that he would literally be dragged to that court. That court has been used as a metaphor for God's court. It's God's judgment. Equally, the, the reference to the fire of hell, which would, should be more accurately translated the fire of Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was the place just outside of Jerusalem 
where they would burn all the rubbish. It was a public incinerator that destroyed all the city's rubbish. And as such, it was a perfect metaphor for God's ultimate judgment on all evil. And what Jesus is saying is that anger that leads to name-calling and insults is subject and liable to the same judgment as murder. Now, Jesus is not saying that anger and insults and name-calling is just as bad as murder. He's using hyperbolic language. He's using an exaggeration to warn us of the dangers of anger. For anger is the root that leads to all kinds of destruction. And therefore, it's subject to judgment. But this judgment is not some kind of arbitrary judgment that will eventually catch up with you. It's a judgment that starts right now. Every time you allow anger to linger in your heart and allow anger to fester in your heart, you become slightly less than fully human. For it will result in broken relationships. It will result in broken marriages. It will result in destruction. Has anger ever solved the problem? Anger only makes things worse. When I was preparing for this sermon, my computer kept crashing. And every time it crashed, I was getting more and more angry. Eventually, I was so angry, I slammed my hand on the desk. It didn't fix my computer. I just had a sore hand. When has anger ever solved any problem? Anger is just the root that leads to destruction. Unresolved anger in the heart leads to broken relationships. It leads to court cases. It leads to prison. And ultimately, it leads to destruction. What's the solution? Well, Jesus gives us two examples that demonstrates the solution. The solution is simply this. Be reconciled. Make friends. And do it quickly. We read in verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. Now we often miss the humor in Jesus' teaching. We need to first of all remember that Jesus at this time is in Galilee and he's speaking to a bunch of Galileans. Now Galilee was about a three days journey to Jerusalem. Can you imagine this comical scene? A person travels all the way to Jerusalem. On the way he buys an animal to make a sacrifice at the temple. And as he walks into the temple he suddenly remembers, Ah, I've got a a broken relationship with someone. I'm really angry with this person. This person's got something against me. Does Jesus really expect him to leave the live animal in the temple courts while he takes a three-day journey back home to be reconciled and then come all the way back to make his sacrifice? Of course not. Jesus is exaggerating again to make his point. 
And his point is this. The urgency that is required to be reconciled, the urgency to, to deal with anger is so much that it even takes precedence to worship. Anger is so dangerous, it even takes precedence to worship. Wow! Can you imagine someone saying it? A rabbi saying it? Furthermore, if you've got something, something against someone or someone's got something against you, it's going to affect your worship. It's going to affect your relationship with God. Therefore, you need to resolve that issue as soon as you can. Also, it's very interesting who initiates the reconciliation. It's not necessarily the person who's done something wrong. It's the worshiper. It's a person who has received grace and forgiveness from God. If God has forgiven us, if God has taken the initiative to be reconciled with us, how can we not take the initiative to be reconciled with all people? Jesus then gives his second example in verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do, do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Again, over here, Jesus is talking about the urgency about resolving matters straight away. You see, the longer you leave it, the worse it will become. If you don't resolve the issue straight away, you might end up finding yourself in a legal court case. And before you know it, you might be thrown into prison and being forced to pay every last penny. And even if you win the court case, you will still be worse off than if you had got reconciled right at the beginning. So solve matters quickly. You see, the longer you leave it, the harder it will become. Most conflicts start with a relatively small issue. But if you don't deal with it, it becomes a big issue, and it becomes very hard to deal with it later. So resolve matters quickly. A couple of years ago, when Victoria and I had just moved to Abergavenny, I found that I was really stressed for a while. I was uh, teaching two modules at the Bible College, and one of them was a third-year module, a new module that I had to write. Plus, I was trying to settle into the church, get to know everyone at the church. Plus, it was this long drive to rugby and back. And as a result, I was getting quite stressed. I wasn't sleeping well. I was working late into the night. I was tired. I wasn't surfing enough. And, and as a result of all this, I was quite irritable. I was quite stressed. I was quite grumpy. And I found myself uh, getting angry at little things at home when things didn't go right. And I found I was getting quite snappy with Victoria. You do need to pray for Victoria. She has to live with me. One day, Victoria confronted me about my anger. She's, and she said, I think you're getting more and more angry. Of course, that made me more angry. Because she was right. 
And I hate it when she's right. So now I wasn't only angry because my computer wasn't working, I was angry with Victoria as well. Because she wasn't sympathetic to my situation. She should know how hard I'm working, how much pressure I'm under, how I'm trying to rewrite a new module, how I'm trying to write sermons, how I'm driving to rugby and back. And I felt I had the right to be stressed. I had the right to be angry. But she was right. I was getting more and more angry. It was destructive. It was my problem. I needed to resolve it and resolve it quickly before it got worse. There are a a number of contributing factors to anger. A lack of sleep. A bad diet. A lack of exercise. A lack of rest. And when I was stressed and under pressure, I was working late at night. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was working through lunch. I wasn't having a healthy diet. I didn't have any time to go surfing. I wasn't exercising regularly. And I was even, because of the pressure I thought I was under, I was even finding that I was working on my day off. God gave us a Sabbath for a reason. I needed to sort out my diet, my sleep, my exercise, my work-life balance. One of the biggest contributions to uh, a very short temper uh, and anger in our today's society is taking work way too seriously. I was taking my work way too seriously. It was becoming a kind of idol, and I was finding myself as a slave to work. I felt I needed to be putting in those long hours. I felt I needed to be stressed over work. I felt I needed to be doing everything uh, as much as I can all the time. And this is a real problem within our society today. People find their whole self-worth in how stressed they are at work, about how many projects they're doing, how many things they are doing. Even though it leads to anger. And ultimately it leads to broken relationships, broken marriages and destruction. The irony, of course, is when I sorted out my sleep, my diet, my exercise, my work-life balance, the quality of my work improved. I was more efficient, I was less stressed, my interpersonal relationships were better, I was better able to handle conflicts and problems, I was in a far better position to be reconciled to my brother or my sister. A couple of practical points. When resolving matters quickly, seeking reconciliation, Although we want to do it as soon as possible, we still need to choose a good time and place. If you're resolving an issue with your spouse in front of the children or while you've got guests over, it's probably not a good place or a good time. If it's late at night and you're really tired, it's probably not a good time. You should probably wait until the morning. If you've just had a heated argument, it's probably a good idea to wait for both of you to calm down. And then you can come back and deal with the issue. Also, when you're seeking to resolve matters quickly, focus on the issue, not the person. Don't say, you always, you never. Rather say, I felt upset when you did this. Focus on the issue, not the person. Also be prepared to listen to the other person. 
actually listen to them and try and understand where they are coming from. You might realize it was just a misunderstanding. Be prepared to say sorry. Be prepared to forgive. Being reconciled, making friends, sounds so simple. Just, just make friends. But yet it is so difficult. Because we feel we have the right to be angry. They have hurt me, therefore I have the right to be angry. They have hurt my ego. In order to be reconciled, we need to be prepared to get off our pedestal that we've placed ourselves on. We need to abandon our superiority over the other person. We need to give up our right to be angry. Is it possible? Jesus says yes. And he shows us how. When he was arrested, falsely accused, tortured, and crucified, he did not react. When he hung on the cross in agony and pain, rejected and exploited, he did not say, I have the right to be angry. But he said, Father, forgive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, won't you forgive us for the times where we have been angry, where we have allowed anger to linger in our hearts, where we have allowed anger to fester within us. Father, we are sorry. Won't you forgive us? Father, we confess too that we are so weak. We like to cling to our right to be angry. We like to place ourselves upon the pedestal. Father, by your grace, won't you give us the humility to step off the pedestal, to give up our right to be angry and to forgive. And Father, help us to realize in so doing, you're actually saving us from that fire of Gehenna that burns within us and destroys us. Let's spend a few moments in silence and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Perhaps there is someone who has something against you. Perhaps there is someone who you are angry with. Perhaps it's something that's way back in the past that has never been dealt with. Perhaps it's a current issue. Let the Holy Spirit bring that to mind. And then make a pledge now before God that you are going to do whatever it takes to be reconciled. That you will be prepared to say sorry. That you will be prepared to forgive.